So Jesus, help us to apply those verses to our lives today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hello to all of you here. You are presumably very chipper because you've had an extra hour of sleep, so good to have you all here. Is this on? We're good? All right. All right. Um, I want to start with a question. How many of you had your life dramatically changed by a lecture that you heard in school? Oh, well, that's disappointing. (laughs) Notice I said lecture because I didn't want to deal with the heartache of asking if a sermon had changed your life. How many of you had your life dramatically changed by a book other than the Bible? A couple, all right? Now, how many of you had your life changed by a person, a parent, a coach, a teacher, a friend? How many? Right. Because, see, this is the way that we grow spiritually and emotionally. Life on life changes life. That's why the main thing Jesus did was to spend three years walking all over the place with 12 disciples and just using the stuff of everyday life to help them grow spiritually. Oh, look, we're out of food. You give them something to eat. Learn that God provides. Life on life changes life. Now, it's also true in the plural. Lives on lives change many lives, i.e. can change culture. And history shows this, that communities, not individuals, change culture. And I've talked a lot in this series about how the first Christians changed the Roman culture. Back then there was no institutional church, just small communities, house churches, who did life together and served the city and served those in need together. And that drew people until eventually Christianity became the dominant religion and that changed a very violent culture. Well, the same thing happened a second time after the fall of Rome. Europe had been Christian under the Roman Empire, but taken over by Celtic and Germanic tribes after the fall of Rome. So it was a post-Christian culture. So Christians headed out all over Europe in what we would call today missional communities. Let me define that term. It's up there. Missional communities. They they headed out anywhere from kind of 5 to 40 people who were, you know, normal people. Farmers, carpenters, you know, a couple pastors thrown in because you might need one. But mostly, you know, lay people who went all over Europe to places like Ireland with St. Patrick. And they did life together. They cared for each other. They encouraged each other, but they were also on a mission together. They lived in community and just attractively different lives, more joy, served the tribes they went to, met their practical daily needs. And people liked what they saw in these communities, and more and more people became Christians until gradually those cultures shifted. And then pretty soon things improved like the treatment of women and slaves, and there was no more human sacrifice because enough people had joined. And Europe was Christianized for a second time without the use of the sword or politics, but through communities, missional communities. And missional communities focus on three things, up, in, and out. They were looking up to Jesus, praying together, doing uh, Bible together. They looked into community to do life together and care for one another. And they looked out to serve those in need in the world. And history shows it twice changed culture in Western history and is currently changing culture in places like China through the house church movement that's happening there. Individuals don't heal culture. Authentic communities do. But there's the problem. Because we kind of have a love-hate relationship with community, don't we? I mean, we want it, but then on the other hand, you know, we're very individualistic culture. That works against it. We're so busy that we don't have time for community. Some of you, this is not your favorite topic Uh, for me to preach about, because you're just like, man, I am just trying to hold it all together. Job, kids, who has time for community? Others of you have been hurt by community, and some of you have been like, I've been trying forever to find community. 
Where's my band of brothers or sisters that I can do life with? Your community is sort of like porcupines in a snowstorm. We need each other to keep warm, but we needle each other. I mean, you know, me by myself, I'm just fine. I'm fine, you know. I don't argue with me. I don't ever disagree with me about what movie to go to, right? Me, I'm on my own. It's other people that are the problem. This week, one of our kids was having a bad day, and, and it's okay if I tell this story as long as I don't use their name and you don't try to figure out who it is. So the child who must not be named was having a bad day, lashing out at siblings, at Christina. And Christina said, you know, it's okay to have a bad day. You just can't take it out on the family. And this child said, well, then who am I supposed to take it out on? Because, you know, there's got to be someone, right? So we bought a cat. <laughs> Relationships are hard. They're, they're tricky. Plus, every community, every group of people, every community has kind of that extra grace-required person, at least one. You know, that difficult person. They talk too much or don't pick up on social cues or just that difficult person. Right? And if you're having a hard time thinking of someone like that in your social group, it's because it's you. And yet we long for people to have fun with, people who cheer us on in victory and support us when, when, when things are hard. We are made in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is a community. That's, ontologically, that's amazing. God is a community. And we are made in his image, and so we long for it. It heals us, and through us, it heals a culture. The text we read today is about the first Christian community, and it ends by saying people in general liked what they saw, and every day their numbers grew. That is, when people see authentic Christian community that's focused up, in, and out, it's so refreshing that they're just drawn to it, and it starts a movement. So what I want to do is I just want to look at these verses to see what are the characteristics of a life-changing and a culture-changing community. What are the characteristics of that kind of community? So let's just start. The text says they devoted themselves. I'm going to stop right there. Devoted means they had to be intentional because community takes work. It doesn't just happen. You have to be intentional, right? And especially these guys because they were a very diverse community. Earlier in the, in, the, in the story, we find out that they come from places like Judea, Asia, Egypt, Libya, Jews, and Arabs. They were diverse racially, economically, politically, people who read The Stranger and people who read the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal, right? That takes a lot of work to keep those folks together. But it also makes our lives so much richer when we have this kind of diversity. You know, I know this. I experience it every day, being married to a Chinese woman. I just love the way that has, has kind of expanded my horizons. In fact, I was saying to someone a while back, you know, I just love being in an interracial family. It just makes life so much richer. And he said, yes. And what makes it interracial is you. Oh, yeah. I'm the only white guy in my family. You're right. You're right. I, I'm the one, right? So, so these early Christians, they had to devote themselves because you've got to be intentional. To what? What did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching, which for us would be Scripture. And this would be the up part in the up, in, and out of community. But notice they did not do the online self-study course, right? They were together. See, our, our, our Western Enlightenment model is kind of a classroom model, but all the research shows that is the least effective way to learn. Like what I'm doing right now, oral discourse, only about 10% of the population learns this way. I mean, it's practically useless. So let's stand for our final song. <laughs> right? These first Christians, they didn't do Bible study, they did Bible applying. Bible applying. 
And you need others to do that with. You gotta, you know, you 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 gotta, you you read a passage on marriage or on forgiveness or whatever, and you kind of brainstorm. What is? How how could I apply this? How could you apply this? How can I help you do that? What does this look like? Right? Life on life changes life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, being together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, hospitality with glad and sincere hearts. Now I want you to focus on the word glad. Notice it does not say they grudgingly fulfilled their obligations to come together. You know, in real community that changes us and the world, we have fun together. We go to games together. We go skiing. We go bowling, if you like that and you think it's fun. We'll pray for you. (laughs) In fact, in Scripture, God loves a celebration. God loves celebration. In Scripture, God commands so many feasts, it's almost as if feasting should be a sacrament. It's almost as if partying is a sacrament to God. And it's, it's, it's no accident that Jesus gave us communion, a meal, which in that culture always involved celebration. It's as if Jesus is saying, I know you're going to do this anyway, so when you party, party in remembrance of me. That's good theology. It's not heresy. They had fun together. Fun. But they also got beyond news, weather, and sports. They met not just with glad hearts, but with sincere hearts as well. The word sincere means without pretense, no masks, no faking it, honest about sins and fears and failures. In fact, maybe one of the reasons they had glad hearts is because they had sincere hearts. They weren't trying to pretend, weren't posing all the time, because that gets kind of irritating. See, we need to get to the real stuff. Where are you aching? Where are you faking? Where are you celebrating? Where are you struggling? And I know, like, I have said this like eight million times, and like some of you are like, I'm so tired of hearing this, so I, I've got some hope for you. I'm going to stop saying this when we all start doing it, because it's hard, right? A woman told me a story of, of how she used to have to have a perfectly clean house whenever anyone came over, but one time someone came over unannounced, and this woman just freaked out, but she and this guest just went on to have this great conversation, and as the guest was leaving, she said to this woman, you know, I used to think you were perfect, and then she looked around her house and said, and now I see that you're not. So now I know that we can be friends. See, when we get honest, we connect. We don't love each other for our strengths. We resent each other for our strengths. We love each other when we connect around our weaknesses. Oh, you struggle too. What a relief, because I struggle as well. How can we support each other? To be known and still loved, that is freedom. And as Christians, we can do this because the one thing we have in common is that we need Jesus' forgiveness. The ticket for admission is not that we've got it put together. The ticket for admission is we admit we are sinners in need of God's grace. We have to admit, I'm messed up, you're messed up, we're all messed up, so can we just agree we're all messed up? Just say, I'm messed up. And was that that hard, right? Can we just agree on that? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? If when you walked through this door, these doors, this was the one place on an east side, in an east side culture, pathologically addicted to pretending, wouldn't it be great if when you walked through these doors, that weight was lifted? Oh, thank you for that amen, man. Like, wouldn't that be freedom? We are dying for this, right? But, but, we're, but we're like Northwesterners at a four-way stop. You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, someone just go, right? Because this is how we grow, you know, supporting, encouraging, as well as challenging each other, not obnoxiously, lovingly challenging, pointing stuff out. Last summer, we were watching a Mariners game with my parents, and a commercial came on with Russell Wilson in it, and my mom said, oh, he's a good-looking man. 
And then the next commercial break, there was another Russell Wilson commercial. My mom said the same thing. Wow, he's really handsome. And we're like, Mom, you said that. Right? About 20 minutes later, another one, and she said, he is really good looking. We're like, Mom, Dad's here, getting awkward. Right? Like, <laughs> so, so now whenever we watch the Seahawks, we always say, Mom, look, there's your boyfriend. Now, she wasn't, she, I don't think she even knew she was doing it. She just needed someone to kind of point it out. We, sometimes we need others to point out stuff lovingly in our lives to challenge us. And I got friends who do this for me. I got friends who encourage me when I'm kind of feeling down or insecure, you know. Oh, I'm the worst pastor ever. I should just go sell shoes in Pasco, you know. <laughs> they need shoes in Pasco. And they kind of, no, it's not that bad, Scott. You know, come on, fuck up. You're good. And then they also challenge me when I mess up, which I do alarmingly well. Like, I am the chief of sinners, guys. I am the chief of sinners. But they know my stuff, and they love me anyway, and they say, how can I help you be the man that I know that you can be? These first Christians, they looked up, they applied Scripture together, they prayed together, they looked in to community, and they did life together, and then they looked out to serve the needs of the world around them. They sacrificed. They cared for the poor, the orphans, the sick, right? People who, weren't on, people who weren't Christians, they just cared for them anyway. And people were attracted to that kind of community. And as, as more joined gradually, things in that culture improved, like the treatment of women and gladiator games fell out of fashion because so many people had been attracted to this kind of community. The culture shifted. Same thing happened after the fall of Rome as Christians lived in these communities and people were drawn in and the culture changed. Because life on life changes life. And I know some of you, you've got great community, and some of you don't, and some of you have been hurt, and I get that, man. I've been hurt in community too. But here's what I've found. I've learned that not everyone is going to hurt you, and when we work through the hurts, our relationships often get stronger. Community is a human need. It changes us, and historically and biblically speaking, individuals don't change culture. Authentic communities change culture. And we are more, and we, are, we need this more than ever. Man, we are, we have never been so connected and never felt so alone in history. And folks are just dying for authentic community. And when they see us having fun, but also how we have problems and screw up, but are loved through them anyway, you know, and we work through the ways we hurt each other, when they see all that happen, they're going to want to be a part of it, right? And if we get that kind of community going here, folks, we're going to have to build like 18 new buildings or launch 18 new, because folks really want that, right? Folks want to be a part of that. It changes us, it changes culture. So, how do we start? Because that's the hard part, right? Like, if you, don't, if you don't have it, how do we even get going? You know, and you can't do it all this week, right? Because we can't very well say, you know, hey, after this sermon, go to the lobby and sign up for your five best friends, right? It's kind of got to be more organic than that. But here's some ways to just get started, okay? First, come to stuff. Like, we do a lot of stuff here. Family dinner nights, band, choir, service opportunities, small groups, all excuses to meet people. Second, Say hi. Say hi to someone after church. Even if it's just a two-minute conversation, it's a start. Just say hi. And, and I know this is kind of challenging for us in a big church and all that. So we have helped you out. This fall, we have brought you new coffee. Okay? Not church coffee. Good coffee. <laughs> Yay. Oh, that, <laughs> that got applause at 9 o'clock. Like, that's amazing, right? Good coffee. Why? So that you'll linger, so that you'll talk. There is something you do 21 times a week, and you, should, you shouldn't do it alone. It's called eating, right? And just, like, invite a coworker, a neighbor. It doesn't have to be someone from this church. Just say hi, invite someone, go have lunch, go have dinner, go have breakfast. Third, pray. Ask God, who are my people 
And then be open to it looking a little different than you might think it should look. Because sometimes we go, oh, that person or those people, that's my community. I went into that group, right? Well, God may have someone different for you. One of my good friends is someone that I could not stand. He could not stand me. We had sort of contests of who couldn't stand the other person more. We've been great friends for 25 years. And then fourth, you've got to get beyond news, weather, and sports with some folks. Not in an awkward way, just kind of natural way. Not all awkward and goofy, but I'm in a group with three other men from this church. We're different ages, 30s, 40s, 50s. You can guess which one I am. We're different races. Not all of us are white. And every time we meet, we just do three questions. Highs, lows, and where did you see God recently? Easy. Highs, lows, God moments. And then last, if you are already in some kind of group, maybe, maybe kind of consider how you would want to focus it up in and out. Get those three things going. Maybe it's a one-one-one model. Maybe once a month you meet for up, the up and in part. You apply scripture together. You pray. You get honest. You support each other. And then maybe once a month you serve somehow. Maybe Get Connected can give you some ideas. Or maybe it's just, you know, who, who do we know that has a need? Maybe it's, it's someone at someone's work who can't pay a car bill and you guys take a collection and pitch in. Once a month for the up and in part, once a month for the serve part, and then maybe once a month you throw a party and you invite some folks in, you know, your friends, non-Christians, you know, because, you know, Christianity is caught, not taught, exposed them to the virus. One, 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 and then maybe you take a week off, right? It can be that simple. But you know what? I'm just the pastor, so what do I know? I want you to hear from an actual real person. So Lori Loss is an elder here in our church, and she and her husband, along with some others, they've been kind of taking some steps into this kind of community. So I've asked Lori to come up and just kind of just tell us a little bit about the, the community that you're in. Yeah, so is this on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are three core families in, in our community, and really this was not an intentional thing. It just happened, as you talked about, organically. So all of our kids go to the same school and have for years. Um, and we have done school activities together. We've done Bell Prez activities together and sports activities together. Uh, we don't see each other every day. We don't talk to each other every day. Uh, we're not next door neighbors. You have to get in the car and, and drive to, to each other's houses. But um, it just, it, it really happened organically, as I said. We have gone to Nicaragua twice together on an on a impact mission trip. And um, we just like hanging out together. And you guys are kind of, you've got kind of some casual stuff going. Like everyone has refrigerator rights. Right? You want to explain yeah. that to them? Yes, we are, we are all uh, very comfortable walking to, into each other's homes and going to the refrigerator and grabbing any beverage that we would like without permission. <laughs> That's real community, right? When you can do that, right? Oh, look, you got a beer. Um, now, you're busy. You and your husband are busy. You're a working mom, all that. Like, you know... Why? Why would you do this? Is it, is it worth it? Yeah. Um, again, it just doesn't feel like work. It is completely uh, natural. And really, these are the go-to people. If you wake up and you really need somebody to talk to, they will absolutely be the first people to uh, answer your text and, and meet you and just talk. It's really... Um, yeah, it's, it's not worth work at all. And there are challenges, certainly. I mean, we're all human. And um, there are, um, you know, miscommunications and hurt feelings, and that stuff is real. But we have spent, it's tested in time, you know, spending two weeks in Nicaragua um, <laughs> in that hot, and you get raw, 
and they're there with you, and um, it's built strength, and so, and, and it's also built on built on faith. Mm-hmm. And you guys have made some kind of counterculture decisions, which kind of uh, different. And you want to share one of those with me? Yeah, them? yeah. So um, we uh, just the community that we're in, and the the shared values and the way that we live. My husband and I saw some things in our families and we thought, you know, this is, if anything ever happens to us, this is the community that we want our children to be in and to live in. And so uh, we changed our wills. And um, so if anything does happen, our children will go to one of these families. Which is, that's kind of counterculture. It's also kind of cool. It speaks to the kind of the connection you feel with these, with these people. Mm-hmm. So it's all super serious, right? Like you just are always studying the Bible and praying and you don't ever have any fun, right? Yeah, yeah. We not don't that have that's not fun. fun. That's amazing fun. But anyway. <laughs> no, we, um, we have fun. We, uh, one of the things that we do is we have Seahawk games together. And again, we just, we, have, we love being with each other. It's just the first people that we call. If we're going to have a party, when we have a party, and Seahawks is one of them, we certainly invite other people. It's not an exclusive group, and we invite other people to our parties, both Christian and non-Christian, and uh, we just have a lot of fun. Last question. You know, how has it helped you grow? Like, what, when, where do you see growth out of, out of this for you or your kids, spiritually speaking? Yeah, um, I think, as I said before, really these are go-to people, and if I need prayer, boy, it's the first place that I go to. Um, I know that they're praying for us all the time. We're praying for them. That's great. For our kids, this is uh, some trusted adults. Even if they don't know it right now, as they grow older, as they get through different things, these are the people that they're going to go to. And um, we want our kids, they feel like they belong in all, of, uh, in all of these families. It's really great. So it's doable. It's completely doable. And it, it doesn't, it's not work. You'd recommend it? I would to everybody here. All right. That's from the non-pastor, more authoritative. All right. Thank you, Lori. One of the things I love about that story is they were already there, right? They're already at the school events. They're already here for choir and all kinds of things. They were already there. They just kind of entered into what's God doing in our midst. And, and you know, and they're focused up. Jesus, they're focused in doing life together, and they're focused out. They serve in Nicaragua. They're inviting non-Christians to their parties, all kinds of stuff, up, in, and out. And I love, you know, she said, yeah, of course there are challenges, hurt feelings, miscommunications. Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. We're folks, right? But as we work through that, we often go deeper. And in a world starving for community, if we get that kind of community going, Jesus and his people become very attractive. And you can start a movement that way that heals a culture. I'll close with this last story. Two guys I know, they're friends, they're doing life together, serving, getting honest with each other, but also having lots of fun, you know, ski trips, that sort of thing. They decided to invite some folks to join in their friendship with them. And it started to grow, and pretty soon they kind of had a church. And then they needed to rent a warehouse to kind of meet in because they were growing that big. And this, the owner is this kind of crusty guy, and he said, I'll rent it to you under two conditions. First, you can't ever ask God to make it so that no one else wants to rent my warehouse right, so that you can always stay there. And rule number two, you can't get everyone in the church to pray that I'll start going to church, because I won't. And this guy is kind of gruff, but they just hung in there with him, worked through misunderstandings, disagreements, and he has already violated rule number two. 
because he has been so intrigued by the fun they have and how they care for each other, by the ways when one of their marriages get in trouble, the community surrounds and supports that couple, and often the marriage gets better, all of that. So he's joined them. See, there's something about Christian community. When people start loving and serving and getting honest and having fun, it just draws people in, that kind of community. After only 13 weeks after they opened their door, just 13 weeks after opening the door, they already had 600 people coming who were, wanted to be part of this community. That's a movement. There's a, another guy, he was invited by a neighbor to go to a service day with his church. They painted schools, visited AIDS patients, stuff like that. And he said, man, I did not know church was like this. This is just like hanging out with fun people, right? And this is big, tough guy. He works as a corrections officer in a jail. So he decided after that service day, he wanted to go to that church. And in one of the worship services, so moved by the Holy Spirit, the way these, this community cared for each other and served their city, that he just had this kind of, he started to cry, had this kind of spiritual awakening. So now he's a follower of Jesus, but not only that, he wanted to get involved. So guess where this big, tough corrections officer who works in a prison, guess what he does now in that church? He volunteered in the nursery of that church, right? Like those are the best behaved babies in the world. That's what happens when we are the community God calls us to be. So how you fix for community? And how can you take a step toward it this week? Because here's the thing, guys. When Jesus left, he didn't leave an institution or a charity or an army to change the world. He left a community. And he said, love God and each other and serve the world together. It was a short list. He was hoping we could get her done. And that's what changes us, and that's what changes culture. It worked in Rome. It worked after the fall of Rome. It's working today in China and Africa. Communities change culture. Hard sometimes, but also a lot of fun. Counterculture, very scary, a little. But man, if we get this kind of thing going, if we get this kind of thing going here, man, Bell Press, we could light a fire that would burn for generations. As Jesus works through us together up in and out to change us and to change our world through community. So Jesus, make us those kinds of people. This week, help us take a step toward being the community you died to make us so that we can grow and so that we can serve your world. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.